Oh, my goodness. Hey, now that is a wonderful illustration, isn't it, of how to resist the enemy. How to resist the enemy. He's a liar, as Scripture tells us, and that everything that comes out of his mouth is false and uh, seeking to take, our, take us away from our relationship in Jesus. So, hey, this morning we're just going to take a few more minutes just to zero in on this whole area of identity. And so if you haven't been with us over the last few weeks, we've been um, zeroing in here on the issue of identity because uh, we spend so much of our life and time trying to figure out this question of, Who am I? But often we do this through, uh, we try to answer the who am I by what we do. And so we keep ourselves very busy and we try and do a lot of things, hoping that we'll answer the who am I question. Um, Bo, I'm having trouble with the uh, splash top, Bo. I'm just having trouble getting in there, mate. It won't let me in. I'm not sure if it's... My code's not right here. Hang on, here we come. I think we're coming. Here we go. Terrific. Thanks, mate. Got it. Well, this morning, we want to continue on to this issue of identity. You know, just this week, I have two um, friends of mine uh, that um, were sharing that they had experienced their, their personal details had been stolen online, their credit card details, and someone decided to go shopping on, on their credit, on their line of resource. And um, I'm not sure if any of you have, all have had that experience, but anyway, I was looking at a, um, some stats during the week and they reckoned that they interviewed 1,200 Aussies and, and one in every six people have either had their identity stolen in that kind of way or they know someone who has had their identity stolen. So every sixth person is familiar with the fact that there's people out there trying to pinch our identity. And, um, and you know, I was, I was looking at some of the comments that my friends made and those that sort of followed that feed on Facebook this week and, you know, it left them feeling very vulnerable. They'd been stolen from and very cranky that someone could do this without their permission. And one of the things that, um, as I was uh, spending some time thinking about that, one of the things is that the enemy does, when it comes to what the Bible tells us, the enemy illegitimately and illegally seeks to take life from us. Just like when people steal people's credit card details, they illegally and illegitimately go and spend other people's money. Now, the enemy is an illegitimate and illegal player when it comes to trying to steal your identity and my identity and who we really are. You know, in Luke's gospel, there's, in Luke chapter 3, there's this great big long list where Luke writes out, all of the people through time and history in the Bible. And this parent or this person begot this person and this person begot that person. Anyway, it goes down to this long list and the last person on the list, it says, and -and so-and-so came from Adam. And Adam was a son of God. Luke chapter 3, 38. 
And Adam was a son of God. He was God's good creation. And yet, unfortunately, we see in the story of of Genesis account that Adam lost his identity when he agreed with a lie from the enemy. When the enemy told him, God doesn't want you to eat from that tree because he knows if you do, you will become like God. And in fact, he already was like God, having relationship with God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and his creation. So from that time on, Adam and all of us are caught in this problem. We're all caught in this problem of trying to figure out who we are. The Bible tells us that the enemy is a liar. You will not surely die because God knows if you eat of this, your eyes will be opened and you will be like him, knowing good from evil. Now, unfortunately, this left us in a problem where our perception of God was all mucked up. Now, first thing in the morning, I've kind of got to this stage now in the morning where I have to put these things here um, beside my bed. And uh, this is a new thing for me. I've never been here before, but I've just suddenly realised at this stage and age, I have to put these things beside my bed so that in the morning I can put them on and I can look across and I can see Nicole in all her beauty first thing in the morning. And I can see it really clearly, really clearly, just how wonderfully and fearfully and wonderfully she has been made by God. And then, you know, I sort of stumble out into the, uh, the, the main area of the kitchen in the house there. And, and there comes, you know, some of my three kids. They kind of wander out in all their various stages of, hello, it's great to be alive today. And, um, and there, you know, they've got, you know, bed hair and morning breath. And it's kind of like, you wear that to bed? It's like, so anyway, um, and, and, and we see each other very clearly in the mornings. And sometimes we, you know... Sometimes, even with my glasses on, I have to, I have to then take them off and, and then I have to do this. I have to kind of rub my eyes a bit, particularly when I'm, I'm looking in the mirror at myself first thing in the morning because, you know, the glasses are giving me a perception. I'm like, well, maybe they might be lying. So I take them off and I just rub my eyes to get all that, you know, that build-up and that gunk out of my eyes in the morning, all that sleep. And then I look at myself in the mirror and I go, that didn't help. I need those uh, goggles back on and I put them on and I look into the mirror and I go, oh yeah, they were telling me the truth after all. That is how good looking I really am. <laughs> and so uh, the, 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 the problem that we all find ourselves with is that when it comes to understanding our identity and seeing ourselves clearly, we first have to see God clearly for who he is. Um, There's no point in us telling God how he should look to us. Our first step in knowing ourself is knowing who he is because it's from him that we draw our understanding of ourselves. Now, um, Because we've woken up every day with a bit of sleep in our eyes and like Adam, we didn't believe that we actually were God's children. We were his sons and daughters and we decided actually God, like Adam, wasn't trustworthy and he was holding out on us and so we 
owned and bought the lie that the enemy put to us, because of all of that, we see God poorly. We don't see him clearly. It's a bit like in the first thing in the morning. And a number of, there's a number of ways that we look at God. And some people will see God as like this terrible punisher of a, of a, of a being, you know, who's uh, very hard and gruff. And often people will say it like this. They say, you know, I love Jesus, but his dad I'm not so sure about. I think he's a bit of an angry old judge up there. Well, actually, you know what throne he sits on? The Bible says, you know what throne he sits on, what chair the Father sits on? It's called a throne of grace. The Father sits on a throne of grace. He, 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 he administers life from the throne of grace through Jesus. And you know what? Jesus does something. I, I just realized this this week. Jesus does something so amazing and awesome. All through the account of the Old Testament, nowhere is God referred to as Father. Nowhere. And then Jesus comes along in the New Testament. That Jesus happens and and he comes along and then all of a sudden he starts to call God Father. Father. And no wonder that the religious people got all stinky about that because Jesus was redefining how they thought about God. Some people think he's like Santa. You know, if, you, if you're good, uh, you might get something good. If you're bad, well, better luck next year. You know, sometimes we treat God like that. Sometimes people see the Father or God as distant and sort of far removed. And if he's far removed, why bother engage with someone who's so far removed? And this is all because of that, that junk that's in our eyes, in our heart. We don't see God as he truly is. Sometimes we think God's dead. A lot, you know, we talk to folk and folk will say, why believe in God? There is no God. God is dead. Well, that's a pretty hopeless place to live in. There is no hope for some that pl- live in that place. Some of us might actually been grown up in a context where we've been told that, well, watch out because God's a bookkeeper and he's a very good accountant and he's kind of watching every move you make and he's keeping a checklist on that and when you turn up to eternity's, uh, the, the, the kingdom in all its fullness at the end of your life, you're actually going to have to give an account for all that stuff. And so you kind of live in this, well, I better be good mentality and you spend a whole bunch of time trying to be good. Uh, some of us think that God is actually very passive. Why would God be interested in my life? He's nowhere to be found. He's so far away. Well, in fact, Jesus um, was not fatalistic at all, and he helps to restore and recover the Father's identity. We had um, a Bible reading earlier from Hebrews about how Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. Exact representation. So much so that Jesus restores to us who the Father is. And he said to Philip one day when Philip said, show us the Father, show us Jesus. Jesus simply said, Philip, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So if you want to get to know 
who the Father is so that we can understand who we truly are. It's all about Jesus, connecting with Jesus. Jesus reveals that the Father is a redeemer. Remember the woman caught it at the well in John chapter 4? You know, she's having a drink in the middle of the day because it's hot and she's socially isolated and all the other women in town won't be seen with her because she's been promiscuous and so forth and she's had a number of husbands and, 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 and Jesus goes and has a drink with her and he restores her life. He says, I want you to give me a drink. He breaks all the rules to redeem this woman's life. And her life was so touched by the love of Jesus in that moment, in John chapter 4, that she went home to her village and then told the whole village about what she had discovered about God through Jesus. And the whole village came running out to meet Jesus because they wanted to know God like the woman knew God. He loves people despite their best efforts to be good and even their best efforts to be bad. He loves us. Um, he's truly involved and he deeply cares about each and every situation. That's why Jesus, time and time again in the Gospels and in the book of Acts we see in the early church, Jesus and the disciples are healing people everywhere. All the sick were healed. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets and many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he, uh, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus. The son is the radiance of God's glory, the exact representation of God. The exact representation. Now, um, if you were to talk to someone like... Um, He's just not here at the moment, but Ash, Ash Brown, Ashley Brown, he restores cars. He restores vehicles. Oh, there he is, just at the door over there. Now, Ashley's a, an expert at restoring old vehicles to make them look brand new again. And one of the things um, that he sometimes has to do is that because the original parts are nowhere to be found, he has to manufacture parts to fit and while he gets, sometimes he gets these cars almost exactly as they once were, but, he, but never quite exactly as they once were because he doesn't have all the original parts. And that's why if you watch some of these auction shows of the car houses in America and Australia as they're selling these restored vehicles, the more original the car in all its original pieces restored to it, the higher the price will be, the higher the purchase price. The, the less original it is, it kind of looks like it, but we can see it's had a lot of you know, imitation parts put on it, the lesser the value it will be. Well, Jesus is the exact representation of the Father, Exact, better than a car renovation, you know, where they actually can almost get it to look like the real deal. Jesus is the exact representation of the Father. So that when you see Jesus, you see the Father. So Jesus restores the Father's identity to us. Um, so what kind of Father is he? Well, he's this kind of Father. 
And we all need to come into the revelation of who the Father of Jesus is. Jesus is not inviting you to come into the revelation of your father or my father or your grandfather. He's not inviting you to come into that revelation. I think for many of us, we go, yeah, I've been there and I don't want to hang out there. But Jesus is inviting us to know his father. So we don't have to make up who is the father. We just look at who Jesus is and he says, this is who my father is. It's his father that you're being invited to be in a relationship with. It's his dad. And through Jesus, we get to have restored relationship with the father, just like Adam had before it all went belly up. This is all about identity. But to know who you are, we must first know who he is. Because it's through him. You see all these... These young guys and girls up here today, they did an amazing job of reminding the enemy, hey, you can, you can throw any of those darts at me you want. They're illegitimate, they're illegal, and they're wrong. Because now I know Jesus, I am connected with the Father, and he gives me my identity, and therefore I can tell you to go away. And I can get on with living life in Christ Jesus. Um, This morning, we're going to just spend a little bit of time realising again that it's Jesus' Father that we're being invited into a relationship with. It's the Father who says, I love you all so much, I'm sending Jesus so that no longer do you have to wear goggles, no longer do you have to put up with the junk in your eyes or the the poor perspective of broken thinking about who God is, you can leave all that to the side now. And you can take Jesus by the invitation to be introduced to his Father, his Father, the maker of heaven and earth. And he's the kind of king who um, didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, The only person that John's Gospel says that Jesus came to condemn was the enemy. He came to condemn the enemy in John chapter 8, 16. And he came to bring us back into the righteousness of God in Jesus. He sent Jesus into the world not to condemn it, but to give it new life in him. So we're going to spend a minute praying about that in a second. But before we get there... There's just a few things that um, we want to touch on that the Holy Spirit's been talking to us about uh, recently here at the Vineyard. One of the wonderful things that happens here at the Vineyard is that we actually turn up with an expectation that, you know what, at any moment, at any time, the kingdom of God, the rule and reign of God is about to break into this atmosphere and touch people with his love, with his freedom, with his life. And that's not just an emotional thing. It can be emotional. And it can be just, it can also be a realization that, you know what? I've got a new perspective on God and I get a new understanding. That's true too. And some of that's going on as well in the room right now. And also, he is deeply interested in healing the sick and setting people free from 
the lies and the lies and the lies of the enemy as we make an exchange and say no to that and yes to Jesus.